99% of the time, you're going to listen to him, right? You coming yeah. in, you're 20, 21, 22 years old, and this guy that's, that's already put in the work 10 plus years, and, and they pulling you to the side, man, hey, young fella, this is what you should do when this happens. This is what happened to me. And they automatically going to, you know, have your ear. And I think that that's why you're seeing a lot of the childish, you know, guys dancing in the locker room, smiling after losses. That shit wouldn't have took place back when we played. Like, it was no way in hell you coming back in that locker room and smiling when Lorenzo Neal was in there. If we lost and you're walking in smiling, one of those old head, one of those old guys is grabbing you up and saying, we don't do that here. And, and a lot of that, man, is, is missing in today's game, in my opinion. Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. A very special episode for you today. Sean Merriman, the former San Diego Charger back when the Chargers were south of L.A., joins Chris. They're going to talk about the old NFL, having some intense veteran teammates, playing on the Chargers, one of the best teams to never win the Super Bowl. He played with both Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers. He also got coached by Marty Schottenheimer. He tells some great stories of Marty's speeches, his pregame speeches that players would take bets on. Sean transitioned to the MMA after his football career, so stick around to the end. It's a pretty interesting conversation by one of the most plugged-in MMA guys out there. So y'all enjoy. We'll be back on Friday with a preview and a free show. All right, here's somebody that used to, he used to play for Maryland, and I never liked Maryland. And uh, when I was a, a little guy, I was standing on the sidelines waiting to go in the game, I used to watch this beast, man, for Maryland. Him and Heath Miller battling. I mean, just some of the ACC legends in my mind, and Sean Merriman is one of them. Welcome to the show, Sean. How you doing, dude? I'm good, bro. You? I'm good, man. It was, it was, it's good to catch up. I know we, we've, we've caught up a couple times since, since we were players, but uh, – just was always a big fan of yours and excited to see all the stuff you're doing outside football. And I, I guess I just want to start there, man. Like we were BSing off camera about like, how are you able to do this stuff? Like pummeling with these strong guys and like the, the, I know you're not like competing all the time, but yeah. just to be doing the MMA stuff after football is crazy to me. I do boxing. And I got an arthritic shoulder, and I had to stop like two weeks ago. I had to start like a rehab plan. Like, how the hell do you do it, dude? Honestly, man, it's it's been consistency. You know, like we talk, man. I think that my my biggest fear, like honestly, is is that if when I stop, I'm going to start feeling the shoulders, the knees, the hips, the lower backs. You know, so for me, man, like when I when I retired, I got straight in full time MMA. I still now even spar once or twice a week. You know, um, at Extreme Couture, Randy Couture's gym, or I go to top rank with some of the boxes over there. And I think for me, man, it's it's been consistency, consistency because I think that one day I'll wake up and all that shit that, you know, yeah. that we did, right, you'll start remember those big hits, those cut blocks, those like, oh, man, I rolled my ankle, I tweaked my back. And I think that if I stop, then one day it'll 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 catch up to me. You know, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody last night, a guy who plays right now, and he has an injury, and he was like, you know, we were talking about how to treat it because I'd had the same thing. And I was like, are they giving you Tordal shots? Like, do they do that anymore? And he was like, nah, they don't do it anymore. Like, now they'll just give you the pill, which is like a half measure in my opinion. Like, I was getting vitamin T every week before I played. And I'm sure that's part of the reason I feel the way I feel now. Like, we both played in the old NFL. You know, before the new CBA, before the hits got penalized and all that stuff, like, what was it? Was it way different back then, in your estimation, with how they treated injuries and and the way you treated your pain? Yeah, because remember, and I don't know if this is the case with you guys, but remember the time when if you had a third party opinion, right? If you had a, a doctor outside the, the organization, you had a your own fitness workout team, your own like they didn't want you to have back when we played. It was like a cardinal sin for you to get a third a, a, a third opinion somewhere or a secondary opinion outside the NFL so or outside the team. 
And now it's like all these guys, all these guys got their own coaches doing the workout uh, during the offseason, their own nutritionists, their own doctors. But when we did it, man, they used to frown upon it. And I think that ultimately kind of bit them in the ass because there was like, you know, lawsuit left and right. Toradol, yeah. for example, right? The, the Toradol, we all lined up. Remember the training room before? Oh, it was, like a, it was like a line at the carnival to get a oh, shot in the ass. And, and your ass is out. <laughs> like everybody's ass is halfway <laughs> down to their pants waiting to get a Toradol shot. And I think that um, because of the information that's out there now and, and, and the NFL dealing with lawsuits and different things like that, now they're like, okay, we're not we're not doing a Toradol no more. Hey, if you want to, if you want to go work out with your outside masseuse or therapist or nutritionist, go ahead because we can't stop it anymore. So the times are, the times are definitely different now, man. It's crazy. Yeah, no. Um, you know, when I got to one of my later a later chapter in my career and I had a new coach and you know new trainers, they came in before the game and I'm like, I pulled my pants down because I wanted to get the shot and they were like, "What are you doing?" They're like, "We don't give shots," and I was like, "Well, we don't play." <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah. so you need you need to go get the coach and uh, and talk to the coach about that one because you're going to be down a guy. And so the coach comes in and he looks at the trainers and he catches up on what's going on and he's like, well, give him a damn Toradol shot. <laughs> so I mean, you know, like the old NFL has definitely gone by the wayside with the lawsuits and that sort of thing. But it's tough for players now because the game's not less physical. You right. know, it's still very physical and, and all that stuff you mentioned. It's just crazy. It's illuminating when people hear about what it used to be like. The old NFL was crazy. Another thing was we came into we came into our locker room, and I know you had – because I looked at your, your locker room when you were a rookie because I wanted to ask you about some of the guys. Like, and I sorted it by birthday. You played with a guy that was born in 1962. There were, like, old vets in those rooms because they weren't trying to get those old guys out of the rooms – and, like, I walked into a meeting room full of Leonard Little, Fred Robbins, you know, uh, all those guys, you know, um, that, that had played decades of football. And I think it's a real tool that guys don't get now. You know, like, you don't, you don't get to learn from those guys. Those are even value, more valuable than the coaches. I, I think that's what the NFL and the teams have, have lost at tremendously. You know, when I came in, I had uh, uh, Randall Goffrey, Donnie Edwards, Jamal Williams, Keenan McCardell was there, Lorenzo Neal. Like, these guys have been 10-plus years in the league, man. And that, that to me, was always invaluable. Because even when my young guys was acting up or getting out of line, like, those old heads would grab you up and say, man, you need to, you know, you need to chill, right? Yeah. Or this is what I did when this happened to me. And so... I, I think that's where a lot of these locker rooms are lost at, man. Like, you need that that old head. You need that enforcer. You need that experience in there because some of these guys already said and did it, and 99% of the time, you're going to listen to them, right? You coming yeah. in, you're 20, 21, 22 years old, and this guy that's, that's already put in the work 10-plus years, and, and they pulling you to the side, man, hey, young fella, this is what you should do when this happens. This is what happened to me. And they automatically gonna, you know, have your ear. And I think that that's why you're seeing a lot of the childish, you know, guys dancing in the locker room, smiling after losses. That shit wouldn't have took place back when we played. Like it was no way in hell you coming back in that locker room and smiling when Lorenzo Neal was in there. If we lost and you're walking in smile, one of those old head, one of those old guys is grabbing you up and saying, We don't do that here. And, and a lot of that man is is missing in today's game, in my opinion. And also I think, you know, I'm an oldest brother, like I'm the oldest of three, so I never had a big brother. Now I had, you know, my dad's, you know, a big force in my life, but there's something unique about having a big brother and, you know, walking in those locker rooms and, you know, like James Hall for me was a guy that played a long time, played in Detroit, was a baller, but never played on good teams. And he was miserable, but he definitely taught me a lot. And it's not just like the football, it's also life. I mean, it's like, your finances, the the pitfalls for guys that might be single coming in the NFL, like talking about the, you know, the pitfalls of being out on the social scene and things that can happen to you. And you got to be careful of this, that, and the third, because I, I think, you know, nowadays these kids are even more visible and they got more money in their pockets right away outside the CBA change and that sort of thing. But like, you're very vulnerable to a lot of people pulling at you. And I think having those older guys is awesome. What was it like in that locker room when you had Breeze and Rivers and like, what were guys saying internally about that process? Well, I got spoiled, man. Like I really did because I didn't, you don't, not too often you get a chance to walk into a situation like that. Like Drew was one of the, one of the most locked in, dedicated, focused, laser driven 
he was going straight to the weight room. He was going straight to the film room. He was like always on on course for his destination. That's how locked in he was. Phil was the opposite. Phil would, would go down the hallway. You hear him talking shit to people walking by in the, in the, in the, in the you know, weight room. He's talking this. He, he, he never stopped. It was like a competitive, competitive thing. Those Freestyle Fridays, Phil would jump in and, and, and do his little part, man. Like everything. Really? Oh, dude. Like Did Phil yeah. have bars? So this is the thing with Phil, man. Phil was like, uh, take your hottest radio track, whatever the hottest commercial radio song that there was on, right? So we would play it all the time in the locker room before we go out. And you ever heard like a, a when somebody say, don't watch what you say around kids, right? Because they pick everything up. Mm-hmm. Like that was Phil. Whatever we <laughs> did around him, he, he, he noticed and picked up on everything. How somebody walked, how they talked, what they were, you know, Freestyle Fridays, like, a, a term, a, a, a slang that we would use, mm-hmm. like where he, you'd be like, "Damn, I thought you were out of touch, dude. You've been listening." No, dude, he he, dude, it was a, it's the wildest thing ever. And I got a thousand field stories, man. But I think one that really stick out is, um, you know, we'll be in a we'll be in a defensive film room and or the linebacker meeting room, and we're watching film of the previous game or the upcoming game or whatever, and we hear somebody walking down the hallway and, and somebody's rapping. We like what? We walk by and it's Phil. And we just burst out and start laughing, man, because it, it may be the song that we just finished listening to in the right. locker room that he just picked up on and now he's rapping about it. So, uh, but it was, like I said, I don't want to take anything away from Drew because yeah. Drew was a, you know, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, great yeah. quarterback. But I think Phil, when we had Phil, it was Phil was more suited for the team that we had, right? We mm-hmm. talk, we was talking a lot, man. We, we were very like, you know, flamboyant and, you know, a lot of big names. And Phil kind yeah. of fit right in this thing because he was always going to fire back at all times. Yeah. No, I mean, incredible to have both those guys in the same building. And it worked out for both teams. I I actually – I've heard people say that Phil never cusses, but I know Phil cusses because one time on the field he called me a cuss word. And so I don't know if you can confirm that you ever heard Phil cuss, but I've heard it. I, I never heard it. it, it one day we were getting out, but I'm pretty good. In uh, practice, turnovers, and we would jump in Phil's face and point at him and touch him and stuff after you know play around and piss him off. And I, I thought that I almost got him to cuss one time. He was so he was so mad, and he didn't. And that that's when I knew that there was no way at that point to get him to curse because I had him. To, we we had him to the point where we were talking so bad to him in practice, picking the ball off. Crow had an interception, turnaround jam. Quentin Jammer had an interception. I'm batting down passes from the line of scrimmage and getting this close to his face and pointing at him. And that one time, I thought he was going to curse. And when he didn't do it then, I figured that nobody was going to get filled. No, he did it. He did it. He, like, came out of the gate, like, and called me a name. And and then we sacked him, like, a bunch. And I sacked him twice. But it was was eye-opening for me. I was like, oh, this guy with the minivan, like, and nine kids really does. Like, he does cuss. You know, like I've I've heard he doesn't, but he does. Um, with with that 2006 team, you know, I've heard you say this over the last calendar year. I forget when it was, but you were like, we might be the best team that never won the bowl. And uh, I think it's an interesting point you bring up. Um, why do you think that? And how good was that team? And like, what was it that kept you guys from getting there? Well, a lot of people are saying I think it was that 07 uh, Patriots team, right, or whatever. That- yeah. Yeah, that 07. So, you know, people compare it to that because they were good and, and they got Super Bowls or whatnot. But if you look at how dominant we were and in all phases of the game in every position in, in yeah. 2006, um, we didn't have a weak spot. And we wasn't going out and just winning games. We're like, we were beating people pretty bad. And yeah. I think we had, you know, 60-something sacks as a, as a team, almost 70 yeah. sacks, something like that. We, we were up there. Um, you know, Wade Phillips was decoordinated. Marty Schottenheim yeah. was the head coach. Uh, Greg Manunsky was was my linebacker coach, and the assistant linebacker coach was John Pagano. Like we we were so stacked from the head coach all the way down to the players, man, it was insane. And I, you know, I, I don't I don't have a lot of regrets. I mean, one of my I, I guess one of my other regrets would be playing when I when I wasn't healthy, right? Like yeah, going back out, yeah, going back out there, toughing it out. If I can change that part of my career, I would have sat my ass out, got healthy, and got back on the field when I was ready to go instead of you know, trying to play the warrior spirit game and get back out there hobbling around. Because they don't care. They don't care. 
They don't care. You find that out. You're like, oh, everybody's going to care. You walk around the building. You're like, oh, everybody's looking at me. They think I'm soft. I'm not playing. Even though you know you're not soft, you just you play that game in your head, and then you go out there and look like shit, and they don't thank you. No. In fact, they'll use it against you, especially when yep. it's time to negotiate, right? And I tell, I tell any, any younger guy when I talk to him, I say, listen, if you're not, a, if you're not 100% or close to 100%, and you go out there and you're hobbling around at 50% and you hurt yourself, that one week injury turns into a lingering four. Yeah. No one's gonna come up to you and say, Man, way to go. Way to way to get back out there, way to find a way back on the field. They're gonna say, Ah, uh, yeah, well, well you didn't you didn't make any plays. You've been, you know, been gone. You look different. you've been just a body out there. So I tell all these guys, man, get healthy. The other thing is, um, not winning a ring. Like we we yeah. had a legit shot, I would say between two thousand five and two thousand ten to win one ring for sure. But possibly two or three, and and the fact that we didn't, that part still still bothers me, man. Because we had we had Hall of Fame guys, Antonio Gates and 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 Philip Rivers, LT. I played with four or five Hall of Famers, right? Yeah. And um, for us not to have a ring in that during that time, it it still it still gets under my skin pretty good. You mentioned uh, Martin Marty Schottenheimer, and you know, like he has a reputation for being fiery, like. I met him once or twice, and his son Brian coached, uh, you know, the Rams for a little bit. So, got to be a really nice guy, you know, when I met him. And I just couldn't imagine some of the things that I heard he used to say. And uh, I think Eminem had a line cursing at you players like Marty Schottenheimer uh, in one of his raps. And that was the first time I ever heard as a kid that, like, Mar Marty Schottenheimer's a hard ass. He must have a reputation. And then I heard that they based – this is two pop culture things for him – the 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 uh the movie with al pacino any given sunday they based his speeches off marty uh now do you, have you seen the movie do you see the similarity like what was marty talking to the team like it, it was it was so crazy so uh marty he loves you to death like he you know he cared about you but he was hard man like some days he'll come up right before practice starts as soon as we get done uh stretching he'll tap two guys on the shoulder oklahoma drill to start the practice off. I mean, he, he was that. And Damn, he might, dude. He, yeah, oh, yeah, he might come to you like a, a few days later and train the camp after we've had, you know, four or five double days. Remember, we had, all, we had, we had the double days. We had double days. All this one practice, two practice, one practice shit, is, we, we didn't – that that was out the – that was out the question. We, we went we went double days back to back until you got that one day off to go to a theme park, water park, or whatever mm -hmm. the hell they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And you turned into a, a left The movies. Kid. The movies, the movies, right. The you movies. Know, hey, if this guy catches a punt, we're going to the movies. And part of me was always like, can I just fucking go home? Right. <laughs> but, but you know, you go to the movies and it's better than sitting in meetings. Oh, 100%. And you're like, at that point, you, we all like 11 year old kids out there just got released out the house for the first time, right? Just mm -hmm. happy as hell. Anything sounded better than, than you know, watching a film out of the practice. And then, uh, so Marty, he'll come up one day, Oklahoma drill, tap you then three, four days, five days after you have five good practices in a row. He'll tap you and tell you to stay out of 907 and stay out of the 101s, right? Mm -hmm. To try to take care of guys. So that's mm -hmm. that's who he was. In fact, man, um, my, my my rookie year, when I had the big hit against Priest Holmes, I had, I actually had a big hit against Priest Holmes, and, and um, you know, he ended up, he was knocked, I knocked him out. And um, I got up and I was celebrating. Because, you know, I'm just a big hit. I'm going. You, you know, don't know. Yeah, you don't know. You know, I'm 21 years old or so, man. I'm celebrating, you know, the big hit. Got the team excited. Yeah. And I got over to the sideline, and Marty Schottenheimer had grabbed my face mask. And he said, Sean, great hit. But don't forget that this 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 guy's family, his friends, are, are watching. Because Priest Holmes was still out on the ground. He was still knocked out on the, when I was on the sideline, walked over. Um, and so that's that's who Marty was. The other thing is, man, I think that what it, what it really come down to is um, – he had these speeches, and I'm not lying to you, man. I've been, I've had tons of really, really good, co great coaches. Yeah. Marty had this way of, of of speaking to have you ready to run through a wall, and I'm not joking. And his his speeches were so damn passionate. And after you get this whole spirit, and we had so many, that he would start to tear up. So we, after a while, we started to bet. In the team meeting room, everybody would bring a couple hundred bucks, you know, 20s, mm -hmm. hundreds, 50s, whatever. And so we all had the clock when he talked in the team meeting room was right behind the wall. 
And so we all had a, a time of how long it was going to take before he teared up. That's and when so he teared up, right. his, uh, his bottom lip, man, started trembling. And so we, we knew that was, that was the forecast that it was coming that mm-hmm. he was about to start tearing up. So you mind you, everybody got the hundreds of money, the cash with him. And so a minute hit the clock and you hear, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so we, so a minute and a half though, and then he started to tear, he started to, yeah. to cry, to tear yeah. up. And all you heard was the guys in there like, ah, oh, damn. <laughs> like yeah like dudes are celebrating he's like what the fuck is going on here yeah like bro I, that's the best man side betting little bullshit that was like some of my favorite stuff in the nfl and by the way the plane trips i know now you can't drink beer on the plane which i heard you know as of last year is like a, a no-no there we used to drink on the plane and we used to gamble on the plane now i stayed out of the the Ray games and i stayed out of the you know, the but dominoes. like, the, yeah, the dominoes, but the, literally the minute you walk on the plane, it's like, hey, put your per diem in here. We're going to have the flight attendant read the winning ticket and shit like that. And then a rookie would win and Malcolm would get up and be like, nah, rookie's not winning. Like the old NFL was a lot of fun. And I wonder like how those plane rides were uh, for you, because now I think it's way different. Oh, everything, you know. Everything is, is completely censored, everything. And the problem is now is that all, all this is fun, the dominoes, the card games, um, you know, guys, it was betting. It was nothing but gambling all the time. You know, guys whipping all out a couple time. grand here. Tra- training camp, you can forget about it. You'll see You'll see guys right after that last practice, three, four hours after practice, you'll make playing dominoes, card games, spades, or whatever. Thousands, tens of thousands sometimes will just be flown across the table and and now you know you can't even you can't even do that because if once it get out you can't even control the narrative or story you know some some it'll get out in a bad way right well now because gambling is a part of the whole nfl ethos where they got to make a lot of money off gambling and fans can't differentiate they think when they hear guys are gambling on the plane and there's twenty thousand dollars change in hand they're thinking oh these guys are corrupt even though it's not sports gambling they just don't don't want you to hear about that stuff, you know? Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like so much, the, the narrative will get out there, the guys are gambling on the plane. Right? Nobody's saying they're playing cars, nobody's playing playing dominoes or any or anything else. It's gambling. And so people yeah. will run with that narrative. So I think that in a way, I don't fault a lot of the young guys. Even when we talk about the hits and and and, and, and how the style of play guys are now, I don't fault them, man, because when you see Josh Jacobs getting hit for twenty one or twenty two thousand for just lowering his head, running a guy over, or you see a safety getting you know four games suspension for just making a play on the ball, like how how, that was how a bad do you one. want how do you want yeah, guys to that play? I don't know either. And a lot of people will try to tell you exactly how they would do it, but they don't understand the speed of that game. I think we're both talking about because he hit a couple weeks ago where you know like well you could just take the ball off him I'm like the weight of the ball is the body like there's no other way to take that ball off him for those guys and so you know I I think it's tough now I mean it really is and in a lot of ways the NFL is easier but the NFL has become harder in some ways and um, I think that's one of them when you talk about the 2006 team though I think it's a very relevant conversation right now with the MVP conversation because the MVP more than any time I've ever been alive feels like the Heisman Trophy where, you know, if you play one bad game at the wrong time late in the season, you probably don't win that, that award anymore. And the, the, the way we pile on quarterbacks week to week, the narratives, the way they change week to week, it, it, it really does change the whole – the odds on MVP, the whole thing. And right now it feels like because of the process of elimination, you could end up in a situation where if Lamar plays bad this weekend, we could be looking at Christian McCaffrey. We could be looking at, at Cheetah. Um and, you know, you always think of it as a quarterback award, but in 2006, LT won it, and uh, he deserved it. And I wonder if you see anybody in the NFL today that you think is, is deserving outside of a quarterback, would you give it to a quarterback this year or would you give it to somebody like an LT? Yeah, I'm, I'm going with uh, Christian McCaffrey or Tyreek Hill. And, yeah. and the reason why I'm saying this is because next year, somebody's going to have Dax, Dax numbers. Next year, somebody's going to have Patrick Mahomes numbers. Next year, somebody's going to have Lamar Jackson's numbers. Right, so if if those numbers are are easier or easily attainable, more normal, you have yeah, you have to start looking somewhere else, right? Yeah. Like you just do, and yeah. 
you know, if Tyree Hill didn't get hurt, he may be 2,000 yards plus in receiving. Chris, which is once in a lifetime. Which is once in a lifetime. So it, I, I hope that whoever's on that voting committee, whatever they're doing over there, they start to look outside of somebody in the quarterback position because, honestly, the quarterback position this year, there's nobody that's standing out amongst everybody where it's a clear-cut one. This is the first year probably in a, in a long time where you can't say, hey, that's, that's, a, that's the MVP and they ain't even close. Well, that's what happens when Mahomes got a bunch of guys outside who aren't doing anything right, and then you've got Joe Burrow hurt and all these guys hurt and and the whole thing. Actually, another thing is, like a guy would mention, would be Josh Allen. Like, he could be a dark horse if he plays lights out the next two weeks and the other guys play poorly. Uh, that's a team that would have to go win it the hard way. And in 2006, and I remember this, I was in college, and I remember the exact playoff scenario and the whole thing like Pittsburgh was like a wild card team and they had to go on the road and win that thing in Seattle uh, against the, the the Seahawks in Detroit I think that's where the Super Bowl was it's the fucking weirdest Super Bowl place ever but um, do you think there's a team like that this year that could that could go on the road and, and win the whole thing Lions. I don't know if the Lions are on the road. Did they, were they no, well, I mean, they might have to be on the road at least once for San Francisco. And they got the yeah. tie break with Philly, but that could change if they lose to Dallas. I, I said before the season, I like the Lions because of how they finished the last season, how they kind of rolled into it. They're, Lions are the team that you don't want to face. And you won't say that as a player. You won't say it publicly. Yeah. But yeah. they're the team you really don't want to face, right? Playing tough defense, running the ball well, um, very physical. And their style of play is a team that you don't want to play. It was almost like last year with the Jags when they kicked the, when they when they kicked the Charges out. Yeah, you don't like to play those type of teams, man, because they're gritty. They, yeah. They're not going to make a whole lot of mistakes. They're going to play you hard for four quarters. You're going to get their best for four quarters. There ain't no letting up, right? They're going to pound the ball three, four yards, five yards, two yards, quick passes, turnovers on on, on defense. Those are the teams you don't want to play. Like you know what you're going to get. Out of uh, out of Dallas Cowboys, you know mm-hmm. what you gonna get out, out of the 49ers. We've seen them have a couple of spots, even Philly, man. And I was I was on Philly's, you know, kind of bandwagon the whole entire year because I felt that they were they were just disrespected. They were like the most mm-hmm. disrespected ten and one team we ever seen. Because it's so game. hard to come off of a Super Bowl, whether you win it or lose it, and be any good the next year. Yeah, because if for one, the target is on your, on, on your back, mm-hmm. right? You're the, you're the, the defending. Super Bowl playing team, you're walking to every week, and every week somebody's getting up. You're getting everybody's best every yeah. single week. And so that's why when, when people were on Philly, I was like, dude, relax. Now, we've seen a couple games where like they got they got some, some chinks in the armor. They got some holes, yeah. some holes yeah. there that they need to patch up. But all in all, man, that was like, when they, people were talking trash about them at 10-1, I'm like, dude, you know how many, how many teams in the NFL will barely like to win at 10-1? I mean, exactly. I mean, I said that on my pod last week because there's a lot of Eagles fans that listen to this and the whole thing. And I'm just like, hey, man, you know, five, if eight years ago you were 10 and three or whatever it is, and, you know, you got a chance to win the division, maybe you're not the best team in the league, but you've got a fighting chance. And I think with the NFL, the ceiling is lower. You know, when you talk about the Chiefs this year, because I was pounding on the table for the Chiefs, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to figure it out. But the point is, yeah, the Chiefs are down, but so is the field. And, you know, a lot of these teams can look at the field and say, hey, a bunch of these quarterbacks got hurt. There's a path for us. And so um, I think it's interesting that way. And, and, and when you talk about the Chargers, uh, I think you and I have one thing in common for sure, and that's we both played for organizations that have since moved. And, you know, like for me it was like the, I got cut my eighth year, got hurt, got cut, you know, went to New England, and that very off season, the Rams moved to L.A., and that's a little different than I guess San Diego moving to L.A. Um, but there's nowhere for me to go home to. You know what I mean? And I don't know about you, how how normal does it feel right now with the Chargers playing in L.A.? It's only an hour away, but it feels like a world away. I'm sure for fans. Yeah, and, and you know the the fan bases are different are different, right? Because yeah. San Diego fans and people don't like L.A. people. And, yeah. and, and that was the biggest – it wasn't even the distance. It was just that San Diego people, fans, didn't like – You get LA. my team. Where the fuck do you get off getting my team? Right. And it, it, was, it was a slap in the face to San Diego fans. And, and uh, they, they, they did a great job at rebuilding the L.A. fan base because it wasn't like that. Like, when they went to yeah. that soccer stadium, it was 50-50 in there. Dude, we went – they were on silent count when we went there in 18. We, we went to – with the Eagles, we went to StubHub. And they were on silent count. I was getting a 
great jump off the ball, and we're on the road. Right. No, and, and, and so they did a great job at, at doing it. Yeah, I think that yeah. for me, man, um, because of the proximity was so close, and I was always in L.A. doing a ton of TV and uh, sitcoms and TV shows and, and you know, doing a broadcasting thing. Uh, on the sports on the sports network, so I was already there. So mm-hmm. when they made that transition, it was almost like it's the same fan base that watched me play at least in San Diego, watched a lot of us play in San Diego, like to- Antonio Gates and, and LT. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Philip came back for the first time for Antonio Gates. Uh, you know, for his Hall of Fame thing. Induction, was, yeah. So he, you know, Philip Rivers came back, and it was good to see him. But yeah. it was it's it's almost the same fan base. A lot of a lot of fans still came up, and obviously they did a really good job rebuilding that LA fan base because it wasn't always like that. Yeah, and for me, it's like I got to be careful. I I don't have anything against the LA Rams. You know, I don't. I guess I still got buddies on that team. You know, as years go by, it's just Aaron Donald now. But you know, it's hard for me to go show up to that game and put on a jersey and and sit in the stands, and because people in St. Louis they they. They took it so viscerally, you know. It's like they have Super Bowl parties without the game on. <laughs> that's how much they hate the NFL, and so you know, like that's really hard. And I, I know for you, you're working in it, and it's a little bit different. But it is a weird feeling, you know. Like for me, you kind of feel like NFL homeless. Um, but for you, being so close, maybe it's better. Yeah, I, I think the hardest thing for me was uh, when they had me to announce the the, the draft. Um, I yeah. think it was 2000, the one that was in Tennessee. And, you know, you're going out, there's 100-plus thousand people out there. So the first thing, you're already thinking, like, okay, let me not mess this up, right? Mm-hmm. Let me not mess this whole thing up. And <laughs> you got I got a, a hard name, and Nasir Adderley, right, the safety, they, yeah. the, the, the DB they dropped, Nasir Adderley. So I got a hard name, and I got to remember not to say San Diego Chargers. You know, yeah, that's the hardest that, one. That was the hardest one. And we've seen people go out there and misspell Jets. Right, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's, when, when you get out there, it's like, oh shit! There's a hundred plus thousand people out there. Let me not screw this thing up. So I got the card, and I'm, I'm I keep saying that, Sir Natalie, Monsieur Natalie. I got that down. All right, next, don't say San Diego Chargers. And I think for a lot of people, even the national media, still right now, once in a while, you'll still catch some of these guys saying, "I do it on on my show. I do it on my show sometimes." Yeah. So, I mean, that's tough, man. <laughs> Fuck, man. I mean, like, San Diego fans, I don't know much about that fan base, but I know it's hard for any fan base. And then, like, for you going, you played in probably two of the most polar opposite places, like temperature, city, like, you know, quote-unquote quality of life. But it seems like Buffalo, if you play up there when they're good, like, the quality of life's pretty good for a player. Now, you know, what was it like going from San Diego to Buffalo, and, and how cool is that place, like, when it comes to football – and how different is it when it comes to life? So I, I didn't want to go. Really? You know, I, I was literally I was scratching and screaming not to go. So Buddy Nix, who was the general manager there uh, with the Bills, he actually was number two behind AJ Smith with the Chargers. Yeah. Buddy Nix actually is the one who drafted me with the Chargers. Mm-hmm. And so when I was getting waived by the by the Chargers, uh, I had like four or five teams to claim. I think me and Randy Moss was on the waivers that same year. And we had the most uh, teams to ever to pick to, to kind names, of put in, yeah. you know, our names in the hat. Uh, and so I was claimed by like three other teams that I really wanted to go to. Dolphins being one of them. And I talked to Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross, he called me and we talked on the phone for like 20, 30 minutes. Great conversation. He's like, man, we want you down here. And I was like, perfect. I'm going to Miami. But Buffalo had the worst record. Buffalo, you know, when you get waived, their worst record get first hips. And I think Bu- Buffalo was like 0 and 5, 0 and 6. Buddy Nix called me. He said, um, he said, Sean, uh, you know, we want you out here. We want you in the locker room. And I know you're not the player you once was. You had some injuries, whatever. But I think you can really help this team out. And you're going to love Buffalo. Trust me. I said, Buddy Nix, I love you. I'm not coming. Mm-hmm. This is what I told him. I said, I said, tell tell uh, Ralph Wilson and the Wilson family, I apologize. I don't All due respect. <laughs> I just yeah, did not no fight. disrespect. Yeah. And it wasn't even that it was Buffalo. It was a combination of it being Buffalo and them 0-6. They yeah. had no path to the playoffs. Yeah. And so I said, buddy, I love you. I said, after the season, I'll come and see you guys because I'll finish the rest of the season out. But give me a chance to go somewhere where we at least going to have a chance to go to the playoffs. He said, Sean, I hear what you're saying, but I'm putting in your contract and you're coming here to Buffalo. Trust me, you're going to love it. I said, Bill, I said, buddy, trust me, I'm not coming, right? <laughs> 
And dude, I I, I swapped it out. I hung up the phone. I hung up the phone on Buddy Nix and and uh, Mr. Wilson. Right? I hung it up, and I was so pissed off because I was telling them that I was like I didn't want to come. They called me back 15 minutes later and said, "Hey, we put your we put your contract in. We'll see you soon." I said, "Well, I don't give a shit what y'all do because I'm not coming." Right? They said, "Sean, if you don't show up, it's twenty five thousand dollar fine a day." Twenty five dollars. You got to retire. I said, um, I said, look, what time that plane gonna be here? So <laughs> yeah, twenty five. At twenty five, dude. They said, uh, we'll. It was on Tuesday. They said we'll send it on Wednesday. I said, could you guys do me a favor and send a plane on Thursday? And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me, seriously, because really? we, I played. We, we got a we had a great fan base with the Chargers, but we also had stars to the team that we won a lot of games, right? Mm -hmm. You got you got one of the best running backs of all time. You got the best tight end of all time. You got one of the best quarterbacks. It wasn't hard to come and see us play. We won a lot of games. Yeah, Buffalo. They were showing up regardless. And no matter. No matter what. I showed up there. They were 0-6, I believe. And I looked into the stadium, and there were people out, 55-plus 50, thousand still, shirts off, screaming, going nuts. And I never saw anything like that before in my life. And I actually got really close to the fans. Do the fans there in Buffalo treat you like, like you're a second or third cousin? They'll see you and be like, yo, what's up, lights? I'm like, damn. <laughs> you know? But it, it was it was the best it was the best thing that ever could have happened to me, man. Because I not I wish that everybody could experience that at least one time in their lifetime. You guys had to go to Toronto some to get out in the nightlife, right? I was every Friday. You were in I Toronto was, every Friday. You were leaving the every country Friday. every Friday night. <laughs> and the drinking on Fridays, the hanging out on Fridays, like that never bothered you because I tried it once early in my career, fucking with those old heads. They're like, we're going to the hotel bar. We were up in Seattle. And, you know, had a couple cran cran and vodkas, I'll never forget. And Saturday, I was like, man, I feel like shit. Like, I don't. So you guys were hitting the streets on Fridays. Every Friday. And you know man. what? In fact, in fact, I tried to do the opposite, right? Because I think A.J. Smith, the, the general manager there, has something to come out in the papers about, you know, me not in particular, not being focused on football. And I was, you know, celebrity and I care about TV and all this other shit. So I said, you know what? I'm not going out no more, and I'm I'm a, just straight and narrow. I'm gonna stay in the house, yeah. go watch film, or, you know, whatever. I did that shit for two weeks. I was miserable. Really? <laughs> I was miserable. It was, you, it was two, two of my worst you, weeks. You were conditioned to have a hangover on Saturday during the walkthrough. That was part of the normal routine for you. Yeah, I was I was off if I didn't. <laughs> you know, That's uh, so good, dude. I mean, I, it's so funny to me thinking about guys in Buffalo. I just feel like Buffalo is a place where if you don't go to Toronto and you stay in Buffalo, you probably get drunker in Buffalo than any city because it just seems like a good drinking city. You know, like I, I would love to hit a couple of the dive bars in Buffalo. What's the best bar in Buffalo? Uh, downtown on Chippewa. Okay. Downtown Chippewa, they were loaded, loaded with nice bars and lounges. And I mean, yeah. I just I remember going up there to play and it was all overcast and dreary late in the year and sitting in the hotel on Saturday and being like I just have this urge to go get fucked up, like this city just does it to you, right? Like you just want to go out drinking with these people. I, I, one of these days I'm going to get there. I'll let them throw me through a table. We'll do that for the pod. We'll go up to Buffalo, guys. All right. So with MMA, I guess my big question is: a number one, lights out, extreme fighting, January sixth, big fight, Nakatani and Marte. Okay, so. I'm excited. I'm going to check it out. You can catch it on Fubu Sport, Fubo Sports. Um, I got like five smart TV apps. I don't know how to use. I got to figure out how to use Fubo. Um, but but my whole thing is with the mentality that these fighters have, and I've trained with a couple of them, and they're different dudes. Like, do you see commonalities between the NFL guys and fighters? And what can you teach a guy? Like, if a guy doesn't have that mentality, can you make him a fighter? No, no, but this is why that we, we transition as far as football players transition well more than any other sport, right, over to combat sports because we're already used to contact. contact. Uh, we're not afraid to, to start to, uh, to learn and, and, and be, you know, pick up things on a, re on a repetitive basis, right, because yeah. our, we're just creatures of habit of wanting to get better or something. Um, I believe, and I, and I got a couple big guys, former guys, one Super Bowl champ, big D lineman that I'm, I'm going to make a contract offer to uh, right after the uh, right after the holiday. And it's it's um, confidential right now. Yeah, it's confidential. But I can I get three guesses? 
You know three I love guesses. guessing shit. I want three guesses. I need one hint. Okay, so he was a Super Bowl champion D lineman. Yep. All right, so he probably's got length. All right, um, so he's probably an edge guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it, did he it, play interior, interior and edge, but mostly interior. Yep. Okay. Okay. And he's still playing, or he's not playing. He's he's retired. Okay, and he and he won a Super Bowl with the NFC or the AFC. 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 Okay, so the Broncos could be a team newly retired Broncos. AFC. Who else won the Super Bowl the last couple of years? I'm gonna look this up here, Sean, before we get Super Bowl champions. I don't think it's a New England guy. Um, list the Super Bowl champion. He just he. I, I missed that. There was a there was a body language cue there. I missed. Okay, we've got Super Bowl champions. Okay, we got the the Bucks won it, the Rams won it, the Chiefs won it. Okay, but I don't, I don't, I can't think of anybody. The, the New England, we, I think it's a Denver Bronco. Okay, I think it might be a Denver Bronco, dude. I, and yeah. I'm gonna go through the roster later, and I'm gonna text you and see if I'm right. Oh but, yeah. So what's the number one thing? Not to get back on it. What's the number one thing you're looking I, for I, with I guys? Think, um, if, I know people got their own personal feelings towards Greg Hardy, right? Um, yeah. But if you look at Greg, Greg actually looked pretty damn good when he's early on in the, in the UFC. And he, this is a guy that only been training two years before he took a fight against a championship fighter. He fought championship rounds. And the only thing about Greg, Greg was lazy as shit. He got overweight. He didn't you know, really train. He wasn't consistent. There's going to be a heavyweight champ. There's going to be a light heavyweight champ. Or, or you know, that's going to happen here in MMA within the next six to 12 months, or at least 12 months, a champion. That there was a former NFL guy or former Alabama or former Florida State or Florida. Like, there's going to be a former football player that's going to be a world champion shortly, I guarantee you, because for one, there's money in the sport. Like, when I retired, you know, people ask me all the time why I, why I didn't fight. They were offering peanuts when I retired in 2013. And I was like, uh, I was ahead of the game because I said, look, I, I got a name from playing football. I've been around the sport and fighting for a long time. I, I remember the money I asked for. They looked at me crazy. And I said, What'd dude, you this is going to get a half a million. Yeah. A half a million. And so I said, look, it's going to be worth it. going to promote the hell out of it. Put me in there against a former WWE guy, a former uh, football player, and we'll sell the shit out of this thing. We'll get after it. Put on a hell of a show for all the fans. And I asked for a half a million. I, they were like, their jaw dropped. Now, for, for a big-name guy to have that size fight on a pay-per-view, that's yeah. that's a starting point. Yeah, now, I think Nate Robinson probably made more money. You know what yeah, I mean? Nate, like, I think Nate made between four and six hundred thousand dollars. I think he made closer to seven hundred thousand. Crazy. Yeah. You know, and so the money and opportunity is there. So that's why you see more of these guys transitioning and, and from football into the MMA. And some of them, you know, only played three or four years. They like this. They're not like us, man. They got beat up. You know, I have certain yeah. shoulders knee Achilles mm -hmm. you got some of these guys are pretty damn fresh is getting into it yeah dude I mean uh I, I I can imagine there's probably an age where you can't start after that age for a guy off the street and for football players I bet I bet those are different ages yeah yeah it is because you walking in and athletically most football players are going to look good even against a guy that's been training for a long time now they're always going to lose at the end because of the skill set. Guys are just yeah. way more skilled than you. But I'm telling you, man, um, I had a guy, I had a, I had a guy that if he kept at it, he's not fighting anymore. He just got married, kids and all that stuff. He got out of the fight business. But Chris McCain, who played uh, outside linebacker for the Chargers, DN, yep. played for the Colts. And this dude was built like John Jones. If yeah. he kept at it, I, I believe he would have been a world champ. So he decided to go another path. But you're going to have, you're going to have these new guys that come around and really take this thing serious and become the next world champ. Is it Antonio Smith? Nope. But boy, I would love to see Antonio Smith fight. That dude is awesome. I love Antonio Smith. Yeah, he but he's another he one. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so, you know, when it comes to these fighters, um, who's the scariest guy on an NFL field now that you're like, that guy should be fighting when he finishes? I think um, – any one of those inside linebackers for the for the Ravens, Queen Queen or Roquan uh, Smith. Um, Aaron I, I Donald could I, kill somebody. Aaron Donald, I've yeah. seen Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, I've seen Aaron Donald fight in practice. 
bro, his hands are incredible. I mean, they're just like, you know, how some guys got hands on the field, but maybe they don't, it doesn't translate. This dude is one of the most violent people I've ever seen. I mean, it's incredible. And also I throw in the hat there, Mercedes Lewis, because that dude's got length and has been doing it a long time. So I trained with Mercedes Lewis a long time ago, and uh, we used to train a lot. And I tell people now, you, you'll find a younger, see, Mercedes went in his 17th, 18th year. Yeah. You know, something like that. He's not, he, you know, he made a ton a of money. A little bit older, not, yeah. Yeah, he made a ton of money, long career. You're not going to get these guys. You're going to get a younger yeah. Mercedes Lewis that was done in five or six years, didn't get another shot, and say, you know what? I can go, go, I can go make money in the building career doing this. Aaron Donald's another one. I say it all the time. Aaron Donald, probably, what, 285, 290? You put him in there with anybody that his, his size at 265, he dropped 20 pounds, he going to kill anybody because he's used to going against 350-pound linemen. Yeah, and, so, and he can wrestle. And he can wrestle. And so you get these guys with a wrestling background, that violent, that strong, that athletic, to learn how to punch and take people to the ground, nobody's going to beat them. Bro, Robert Quinn was like um, an all-American wrestler um, and has length and the whole thing, like super athlete. There's so many of these guys. I mean, it's just so interesting to me because what would like a Aaron Donald purse be? Say Aaron Donald retired this year and wanted to fight a high-profile guy. Like, is are we talking? We're talking millions, right? Yeah, we can probably get him between a half million to a million dollars the first time out of cash, and then he would, yeah. if it's pay-per-view. They would have points and things like that on payment on the pay-per-view side. So yeah, he can definitely walk away with seven figures for sure. Jeez, that's crazy. And and as far as like we talk about the NFL guys, I, have you been in a room with an MMA guy that you're like, that's a scary guy? Like, you know, obviously they're scary, but there's like another level. Like, who's the scariest MMA guy that you've spent time with? Sean Strickland. Oh, I know who that is. White dude. Yeah, yeah, Sean Strickland, uh, the champ right now. Um, he trains over at Extreme Couture, and, I'm, and I bump into him a lot, or I'm training next to him, and I look over him like, man, th this cat off. You know, I love him to death. You know, I think he's, <laughs> he's great. off. I, I, think he great. I think he's great for the sport. But that, that cat is off. That dude is off, man. And mm -hmm. he's one. He's somebody you don't want to run across in a dark alley or you want to start some shit with because, uh, I, you know, he's the type that you would have to do something really bad to him to get him to stop, right? <laughs> like, you Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a lot of these guys, I mean – What's the weight cutting thing like, you know, for that process? Because uh, that's really interesting to me, not just in boxing, but in MMA. Like, how intense does it get when you got to cut weight? And what are the, some of the craziest things you've heard about guys and maybe unhealthy things when it comes to cutting weight? Yeah, that, that's a, a unhealthy and a healthy way of cutting weight, especially when you're a fighter. I mean, the, the small ones diet, diet the whole camp, and then they only got to trim down, you know, 10 pounds or so because it's, you're going to have 10 pounds of water. That's just you not drinking yeah. water for 24 hours, sauna, you know, light cardio. You're going to drop 10 pounds easy. It's the ones um, like Pereira, right, that fought Izzy. You know, Pereira probably, I, mean, I think they fought at, what, 185 or something like that. I think they fought at 185. Pereira walks around at, like, 225. So... That 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 kind of cutting is scary and it's very hard to do. But you have these guys, man, that just bodies are they're training, and that's the difference too. Now, see, there's money in the sport. We are used as a football player. We're we're accustomed to off-season workouts, OTAs, mini camps. Yeah. We we got about two months off max, yeah, and not even completely off. Just two months of the year off, and we're back to it. Now it's money in the sports. These guys now are off-season training. They used to get they they used to get in shape for their fight. That's it. They used to walk around, guys play video games, eating and drinking and shit, and then they get ready for a fight. Now it's real money in the sport. These guys got therapists and chiropractors and trainers, nutritionists. It wasn't like that in MMA, but now the money is real, so these guys are taking it serious. What's the deal with this with MMA with uh, with doing a little smoking? Is they do they test guys for that now, or do a lot of the fighters uh, turn to the plant? They're pretty they're pretty lenient. Um, they're pretty lenient I, on it. Yeah, they're pretty lenient. But you know, all, all that all that shit, even with even with football, the NFL, dude, it's just old school thinking. It, they're it's just, image. It's image. It's behind the curve because you look at you know marijuana and weed as a drug, but. We all know, and I, I play with guys. I wasn't a smoker like that, but I know that it helped out a lot of guys. And <sighs> oh, me. Fuck. Yeah. Still, it still helped out a lot me. Of guys. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I mean, the, the pain's one thing, but then, the you know, like, when you're somebody like me, I'm not going to sleep. Like, I'm going to sleep, like, two hours. You know, I'm going to lay in bed for four hours until I can't remember when I fell asleep. And, you know, if it's not for that, like, how do I recover, you know, as a player? How do I do any of that stuff? So when you think about, like, performance enhancing, like, yeah, it does for some people. It, it can help you in a good, clean way. And so I just imagine fighters with the amount of conflict that they deal with, the amount of, you know, the amount of pressure. It's a one-man sport. Like, the pressure there has got to be crazy. Also freeing a little bit because when we used to fuck up, you had to answer to 52 other guys. But, like, if you fuck up, it's just you. So that's a different mentality. But just the, the pressure they're under. Um, I can imagine that that would help them. Yeah, it, um, it's night and day, man. You got to think, too, these guys are wired different, right? Yeah. Like, when you're, when you're training for a fight and you're in a fight camp, you're walking around on edge. Oh, yeah. like your your mind is in a different place. So I think you know guys are able to to smoke and and, and go that route. It's going to ease you a, a lot more, man. You cannot walk around with that mentality. I even joke about it now, and I see the difference. Maybe I'm just older, and you step away from the game a little bit. But even then, I was on on, on just this mindset was like going out right. there and crushing people, and you you kind of start living a lifestyle like that and you're, you're always competing so i think that's really, that's the hardest thing dude yes. about retirement i think that's what i'm starting to figure out is like we needed a rock to hammer at you know whether it was like competing or football or we needed the conflict i think a lot of guys struggle because they don't have anything to take it out on and for you like it's good that you have that avenue right like not only as a business owner and somebody who's trying to get something going but like you can get in the gym and and you've got something you can compete at yeah, man. I, I, that's why even if guys don't fight, right? If that take an actual fight, I think that every every guy should pick up some form of boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu, pummeling, rolling, something, because yeah. we we got a different thing with us, man. That we can't just go work in that be in that cubicle. It, it'll yeah. never happen. That mentality is what what drives people crazy, or what why guys have problems when they're done because. That switch just don't turn off like that. Now you can dim, you know, when you got the light, you can kind of dim that you light dim down, it. down a little bit more over time. But to go from what we did to turn that switch completely off, I think is unsafe. I think it's fucking awesome that Mr. Lights Out is talking about dimming a light and turning a light back on. That's perfect. If anybody knows lights, it's Sean Merriman. Here's the the other thing I'm wondering. Do we do we look at these weigh-ins and the, the, the promo for fights and what percentage of the time is it played up? Like how much do these guys really hate each other and does it ever spill outside? Yeah, no, big time. Because you, you got, just like every field, every industry, you got the asshole, right? And you got the person that that needs to be the asshole. It's no different than Skip Bayless going on TV being anti, you know, whatever, right? Whatever. You, need, you need that guy. So you can feel whatever you want to about these type of guys. Kobe Covington. I mean, he said the most ridiculous shit about Leon Edwards' dad before that fight about his dad being a murderer and all. Like, that was a that was an asshole move, right? Yeah. But let's be honest, he sold that fight, and as, yeah. as bad as what he did, which I don't condone. I don't condone bringing anybody's right. family to it. But if if you need those, you need those Jake Pauls. You need those like type of people in this sport. Because ultimately, you got a good guy, you got a bad guy. You got people that like that person, you got people that don't like them, and that's what ultimately sells a fight. So who's a heel, so to speak, in MMA that's actually really fucking cool? Um, no, I think, in a way, man, I think, like, Izzy, Izzy, Izzy Israel Asani. Oh, see, I love him. See, I, I, I think of him, and maybe it's personal, depending on the guy, but I... I think Izzy's cool as shit. Like, and some people get frustrated with his style of fight, you know. But but I, I I'm like, he's the hero. Whoever he's fighting is the villain. So I guess it depends on who's watching. It's it's the same thing of like The Rock, right? I mean, The Rock was the best heel we ever seen in WWE. He he that was joked on everybody, talked shit to everybody. I mean, you know, the 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 commentators, the broadcasters, taking mics out of their phone. He was doing heel shit, but we loved it. We we, we all love, we all love a good heel. Whether people want to admit it or not, the nice guys and shit are cool. You need you need that so the 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 heartwarming people like get a get a, a kind of emotional attachment to them. Mm -hmm. But the heels are is what drive sports, man, and entertainment. 
Yeah, I agree with you. The other one for me is you, you mentioned Jake Paul and a lot of these boxing matches that are like really kind of celebrity or crossover boxing matches. I felt like for a long time Jake Paul was just picking dudes that couldn't stand up. Right. But like now I think he's actually a pretty good boxer, man. And I, I got to give him respect in the beginning. I was like, this seems gimmicky, but I got to respect that grind and his willingness to put himself out there. I, um, so Shane Mosley, you know, you know uh, yeah. Former yeah. boxer, um, it was a really good friend of mine. And so he called me, I think it's in 2018, 19, somewhere around there. He called me and said, Hey, Sean, come, come up to my place in Big Bear. Uh, Jake Paul and the crew, they, it was like one of Jake Paul's first fight, first or second fight. And uh, I was like, shit, man, okay, cool. So I went up to and stayed at Shane Mosley's house for the week up in Big Bear. And I got there, dude, and I and I saw Jake Paul working. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've been around, we know the workers, guys are like just locked in, fucking just go at it, really work hard, bust their ass. We, we're used to seeing that being around yeah. professional athletes our, basically our whole life. So when I saw him, I said, man, this dude's going to be real. Somebody asked me um, after, I said, this dude's going to be really good one day. Yeah. The way he was running hills, he was sparring actually like other pro boxers, and he was getting his ass kicked a little bit, hung in there, took it, you know, taking big shots, returning big shots. And I literally, after um, after that, I told everybody, every interview that I had, I said, listen, this, this kid, Jake Paul now, you can call him influencer, call him a YouTuber, all this other, other shit. But I'm just telling you, if you play his cards right, he's going to be really big one day. Yeah, <laughs> you're right about that. That guy's got money, and uh, and I respect it. Uh, the other one was Ngannou fighting Tyson, and that's yeah. 100% a real fight. Now I don't know if Tyson's not training very hard or what, but like, you know, my boxing gym I go to, talking to my trainer George, he's like, he fought pro, and he's like, man, I I just like if there's anybody who can teach. You know, uh, Nganu, how to do this is going to be Tyson, uh, but I just don't see it. Like it's going to be really hard to fight a, a fighter this technical and take your first boxing match and look good. And he really looked good. Is that kind of the way you think about football players? You know, Nganu, the combat sport, changing combat sports. You know, you know he's a striker, but that's a totally different sport. You know, the athleticism, the power that guy could play in the NFL. So is that kind of the the analogy there and then it, it, it were you surprised 100 percent, and for sure i was surprised as hell and i don't care how long how much you know about combat sports boxing mma whatever nobody and i mean absolutely nobody would have would have predicted what happened yeah. and i don't want to take anything away from francis i do think that that tyson walked in probably wasn't training like that they thought he was going to walk through the guy um he already scheduled a, a fight after that fight, yeah which was I, kind of disrespectful Oh, it was disrespectful as hell. And I think that Francis took it that way. Yeah. But you got to understand, too, man. Like, if you look at Francis, he's trained, you know, he's trained over at Extreme Couture. I remember the, the day that I met him a couple years ago, and he walked in for sparring. And mind you, Francis is black as hell, right? <laughs> I mean, Francis is black as hell. And he came in, he had, like, all blue, like this light blue. And I looked at him, and I said, this dude is built like a DN. Yeah, that's what Like, you know, shoulder-wise, shoulder neck. How you know his his just really brolic, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, this dude's built like a D a Dan DN slash, you know, three technique, five technique type. But mm -hmm. like he's a big ass dude. And I saw him move, and I said, man, if he this dude will, he can kill somebody, literally. And so you start looking at you know some of these guys that's in the NFL right now, saying, man, you know what? If you if you got two years of training and you can make some real money. And, and that's I'm on a path of, of that right now, trying to transition some of these guys. What do you think he walks around at, his heaviest in Ganu? 300. God, dog, dude. Yep. Fuck, that guy's a beast. All right, well, maybe we'll see another Francis Ngannou out of the NFL, and hopefully it's with lights out. Is there anything else you want people to know about what you got going? No, that's it, man. Um, you know, we, we you know, very uh, – Excited because we just jumped ninety percent viewership in, on football, and th those type of numbers are unprecedented, man. Like nobody's really doing that, and it's really just having the opportunity to come on on platforms like this and, and talk about it. But I think the other thing too, man. Um, I've been around this sport for a long time, been in TV because you know I was at Fox Sports and NFL Network and ESPN, so understanding production and TV. Yeah. So I, when I jumped in it, man, we you know we we got after it pretty fast and this growth that we're having is 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 never really been seen in this sport you know 
Um, it's, you know, big as the UFC is, we, we love for the fighters to get a chance to go to the UFC. That's that's great for us. It makes us, you know, kind of give us a more of an official stamp, I guess, a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, for everybody just watch Saturday, January 6th on Football TV, Football Sports, man, and all the information for our fights at LightsOutXF.com. Howie Long's birthday, January 6th. I'm going to have Pops watching the fight then. So, Sean, I appreciate you, man. Always love watching you play. Uh, you're the best, dude. I'm, I'm wishing you well and, and hope this stuff keeps taking off. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. You too, man. Keep doing your thing. Killing it. I'm